Hi, welcome to the Awkward Angler Podcast, an authentic series talking about fishing, social justice, and storytelling with folks within the outdoor industry. I'm your host, Erica Nelson. My pronouns are she and her. I'm a self-taught angler that is passionate about sharing my learning journey. I am also a Brown Folks Fishing Ambassador, an organizational leadership developer with incredible amounts of optimism. Understanding that we all have something to learn from each other, this podcast is for the aspiring, the beginner, the mediocre, and the expert angler willing to learn new skills and how to be a better ally. Working through hard conversations can definitely get a little awkward. We fumble through them and worry about getting it right. It's time to step out of your comfort zone and start getting awkward. This show is for mature audiences. Be sure to follow for updates on awkwardangler.com and on Instagram at awkwardangler. People of color have been demanding racial justice well before 2020. Why did it take the murder of George Floyd for companies and CEOs to publicly take a stance on anti-racism? And on the other side, why are some companies even afraid to speak out? People of color have also experienced racism and discrimination within the workplace. So now that their companies are making statements, how are they being held accountable? This week, we discuss performative activism that has been observed within the fly fishing industry that began around June 2nd, also known as Blackout Tuesday. And we'll discuss the impact we see today in the angling community. Performative activism is a term referring to activism done to increase one's social capital, rather than because one's devotion to a cause. This is a conversation between a Black woman and an Indigenous woman, and we share our personal perspectives and observations as anglers in this space. As we move into a new year, I would like to call in the fly fishing industry to consider responding versus reacting and doing it authentically. I'm actually the founder of an organization called Brown Girl Outdoor World. Um, my name is Demisha Dennis, and I am um, sometimes serious about the work that I do, but find it more fun to do when it's actually fun and engaging. And getting people outside is a part of my, uh, my, my, my life goal. And doing so through the organization and doing it in a fun and engaging way has made that project really interesting for me. I am, I sometimes call myself a narrative disruptor um, mm. because I love disrupting the narrative and I love putting people in awkward situations, just like a certain someone I know, um, <laughs> and just making people awkward in those, those spaces where they feel too comfortable and not wanting to do anything to get outside of that comfort zone. So that's mm. my, my, my little narrative disruptor piece and a community, community builder. When you talk about awkward, you know, putting people in awkward situations or whatnot, what do you mean by that? Um, just making people uncomfortable and not in a place where they feel like they can just sit there and not do anything to make change. Because yeah. again, nothing, nothing changes in our comfort zone. So putting, putting people in a space where they feel like they need to do something different than they did two days ago, an hour ago, five years mm -hmm. ago, just for something to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to drive change, you need that awkwardness. You need that awkwardness. Definitely. Love it. Cause it's exactly what I think as well. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's why we get along so well. <laughs> I, I think so too. I mean, imagine if everyone was always comfortable and the, ha the conversation was always happy go lucky. Right. I mean, yeah. we would still be in the same position we were, you know, we probably would still be in real life slavery if we didn't get into the uncomfortable positions that we are in, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. over time. Yeah. 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 How awkward would that be today? So, just right. a little bit. 
Tell me a little bit about your fishing background. Like, when did you get into it? Have you grown up fishing? I Yeah, tell me how you got into it. Yeah, no, I didn't grow up fishing. I grew up in Jamaica, and everyone is always like, how did you grow up in Jamaica and you didn't grow up fishing? Well, I lived in the interior of Jamaica where I had to drive to the ocean. Um, not like Jamaica is that big to have that great of an interior, but it was still like a lot of the same things here were access to transportation at the mm. time when I was growing up and, you know, family busy working. Fishing was more of a survival thing in Jamaica, not so much of a recreational thing. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually take up fishing until I moved to Canada. Mm -hmm. And my first fishing experience was actually with a stick, a piece of stick, crochet thread, and a safety pin. Needless to say, I caught nothing, but <laughs> I think my date thought I was pretty cool, so. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was behind, it was behind the, a river, behind my college, actually, that I, my old college that I went to. Yeah. So that was my first my first fishing experience. And then the first time I actually took fishing seriously was actually on a camping trip. Um, like we're going camping mm -hmm. by a lake. I'm going to, I'm getting a fishing rod and I'm getting my fishing license. Didn't know what the heck a fishing license was or how to get one, but through um, being inquisitive and trying to talk to people and figuring out what I needed to do, I got my license and went fishing and caught a sunfish and thought I had caught the greatest fish in the whole wide world. <laughs> Every fish is the greatest fish in the world, in my opinion. I mean, you know, <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah, I still get excited when I get those little fish and then even like the big ones. I think I get scared when I have a big fish on because I'm like, I'm nervous. I don't know what to do. Is this okay? Like, I hope I'm not hurting it. Like, <laughs> where it seems so, like, so, yeah, little impact with the little fish. <laughs> yeah, for me, I can't, I'm in a, such a, such a brook trout place in my head that I actually, mm. I'm so afraid to hook because I'm so gentle with the brook trout that I'm yeah. so afraid to hook like a big fish properly because I swear it's going to end up in the tree behind me or something when I hooks it. Unfortunately, that's happened to me with the little ones. I'm just like flinging them back and then I'm like dropping everything and running, trying to find it and <laughs> like running back and putting it in the water. So yeah. That that's the awkward angler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is literally half of the point of my name. So the other half is what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> so um, what were, have your impressions been getting into fishing and looking at the fly fishing industry? Because you also do a lot of work within the outdoor industry. So yeah, what's your um, observations and, and things been? Well, I think we have to break it down into a whole bunch of different categories to get it actually get a real um, understanding of my perception of it because I, I, I approach it from the angle of a woman, but first from the angle of a black woman. Because when I was started fishing, I didn't see a lot of representation for women, period. I would see female anglers, but then the conversation became, why am I always the only black female angler or the only woman of color female angler that I see out here? It was never, you know, um, oh, wow, there's someone else like me or, oh, wow, I feel so safe here because there are more women and there are more women who look like me out here. That was never, ever the conversation or the thought in my head. It was always, oh, I need to go fishing. I'm probably going to end up going with a bunch of dudes, which there's nothing wrong with that. Or mm -hmm. I'm going to end up just going on my own and, you know, dealing with the challenges that come with being a woman in a space by yourself. And then mm -hmm. with the challenges of being a black woman in an mostly white dominated space by myself. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel that for sure. That's one of the things I immediately noticed was the lack of representation. It's like, this is a really cool thing to do. And then once I started to dive in and get gear and kind of get immersed in, into the community and the culture, either launching a boat or at the river, I was like, there's really nobody here that looks like me. And it really felt unsafe um, yeah. and just kind of really unwelcoming. So. Yeah, I've experienced the whole um, unsafe piece and I've experienced the you don't know what you're doing, you shouldn't be here piece. Um, you know, even in um, massive retailers here, when everything, when the, the, the um, everything happened in the US here, the, the, the effect came right over to Canada. And I'm mm. standing in one of the main, um, main uh, outdoor supply stores and having to stand there waiting to be ignored while three, um, three sales reps spoke to these three guys with mm-hmm. full-on anti-racist, sorry, anti-black or anti, yeah, anti-black br- racist comments with me standing there just looking and waiting for service. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, I've experienced that part of it and it's no fun. Right. <laughs> but sometimes yeah. you use laughter to kind of just like deal with it in the moment and then you don't buy yourself and you walk out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting how you say like laughter. I feel like a lot of women of color and people of color use laughter to kind of get over these oppressions and these, you know, discriminations and racist issues, you know, that come up in our faces. And um, it's just one of the things that I've observed in the people of color community. It's like, what else can you do? It's like, of course, this is going to happen. You know, it's no surprise. That's why they're more funny black people. (laughs) Yeah. We've just had to use laughter a whole lot to get over a lot of stuff, right? So, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Which is interesting because it's like, um, so we're going to talk about Black Square Tuesday, which happened on June second, twenty twenty, right? And I, my response was laughter. I don't know about yours. <laughs> I don't know if you saw how far back into my head my eyes roll just now that was my black square moment. And that was my black square reaction when I saw that. And well, I actually have a video on my Instagram where my friend and I like woke up in the morning addressing that. And it was just like, what on God's earth is this nonsense? Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it was, and it wasn't even supposed to be about that. That's not what was blackout Tuesday was for, but Mm -hmm. you know, um, there's so much co-opting of experiences and so much co-opting of, 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 um, of, of social justice movements that sometimes we jump onto anything without even knowing the background behind it and get so caught up in making everything look pretty and making everything look right and making it look like we're doing the right thing mm-hmm. with no context or no information. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what is the background, uh, if you don't mind sharing? Did, did you hear anything about how it started? I thought it was for the music industry. That's what the Blackout Tuesday was about. It was for the blackout, for the music industry. Beyond mm-hmm. that, I really didn't give a rat's ass. So I didn't really look at it too much, but I just knew it was not for or against anti-Black racism. And that's where it didn't matter to me anymore. Like I didn't mm-hmm. care about the movement behind it. I cared more about the falsehood of the show, the, the fakeness of the show, the, the performance of the show of putting up a Black square with nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard the term performative activism, um, and that seemed like that's what was happening that day. Mm-hmm. You know, I woke up and I remember seeing, you know, mostly from white people posting a black square, and I'm like, what is this? And then I remember watching your Instagram, and you still have it posted, right? On your, yeah, it's still there. But I felt, you know, very like, 
uncomfortable and not, you know, I'm used to feeling awkward and uncomfortable, but that just seemed like I didn't trust it. Mm-hmm. And whenever you did your Instagram, I was like, yes, like, what is this? No, we don't even have any context to it. It's purely 100% performative was my um, impression. But mm-hmm. I was curious to see how this was going to unfold as like, more people started posting, more people started posting. And then by the afternoon, I noticed a lot of organizations and companies started posting or, mm-hmm. you know, staff were reaching back out to their or reaching out to their um, supervisors, their bosses, of like, we have to say something. There was like this really big sense of urgency happening. And whenever I sense sense of urgency, I immediately don't trust it because that is a characteristic of white supremacy. Um, yes. Yeah. So yeah. It's called, you, I am not your black square, by the way. Sorry. Oh, I'm not your black square. I am not your black square. Mm, I'm not your black square. Great. So yeah, that's such a great discussion that you had. Um, and it was just like, I just remember hitting like the, um, like, yes, you know, every time we say yes, every time I hit the little hearts and everything. Yeah. Um, Cause it was just so spot on. But if you wouldn't mind telling folks, like what were things that you talked about? What were your impressions? Um, walk us through I, that. It was just the hope of, again, the whole performative piece of it and companies who, you know, you see the black square and then you scroll back behind the, po- the initial black square. And that's the only thing that was black about their page was the square. I'm sure yeah. if they could have written the text in white, they probably would have written it in white as well. Mm-hmm. But everything about the organization prior to that black square was the representation of white dominant, uh, was a white dominant representation. Some companies never had one single solitary black or other POC individual on it, or if they had POCs, it was white passing POCs mm-hmm. on their page. And that just, it just made you like for a second to step back. And mm-hmm. it's almost as if you didn't know yourself for a second, because on one hand, you're like, oh my God, they're actually acknowledging it. And then at the, on the other hand, but like, no, they're not acknowledging it. And this is only self-serving on a pat on the back to make it look like they actually care. Right. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, like racism didn't start with the black square. Racism didn't start when George Floyd died. Racism didn't start when Christian Cooper got harassed in a park by a white woman. That's not when racism started. And for you to think allyship starts in that moment, mm-hmm. as it starts a conversation. It doesn't start the work. And I think right. a lot of people took the black square as a piece of work versus a conversation starter. And that's all it is for a lot of places. It started a conversation in the comments thread by the racists that they've been supporting forever and ever about why are you posting it? Why are you showing support? Why are you now you're being racist because you're supporting black people or you're being racist because now you're posting something that wasn't, that didn't constantly support the narrative that white is right. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I kind of want to jump back to what we were talking about with laughter because mm-hmm. I feel like that's all we could do is watch this unfold and unravel. Whereas white folks, and particularly white women, is something that I have observed in shock of this is what is happening, you know, and this is just something new. So did you have that same response? <laughs> and that is why, again, on my Instagram, I have um, shocked and appalled are not action words. Mm-hmm. like you can be shocked and appalled all you want but what is what is the shock and what is the this 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 moment of being appalled leading you to do are you right. still constantly you know still caring about in in your white ways and ignoring the rest of the world are you still carrying on in you know again the white is right and I am superior to everyone else and I will I will post a black square to make you feel good for this moment 
but don't mm -hmm. forget that you don't matter after that black square is gone. Yeah, right. So we're six months down the line since that uh, date and that whole uh, Justice June um, is what I've also heard it being called, mm -hmm. uh, where everyone's woke now. We realize racism is real and, and for, for some people, right? And some are still in shock and some are still appalled and some are still ignoring, you know, that thinking that this is a political movement, what do you have to say to those that think that this is like polarizing or a, polit a political statement? Uh, it is a political statement. Mm -hmm. And my whole existence as a Black person is political. However, you can't represent the idea and the thought and the, the, the person I am through a Black square. So, you know, even if you posted that Black square in June, where have all your actions led since then? What have you accomplished as an organization since then? What have you as a white person with privilege and a whole ton of privilege, even if you are in the poorest category of whiteness in this country or in, I keep on saying this country, I'm not American, I'm Canadian. <laughs> or even in Canada, it's still the same thing though. What have you used that privilege to accomplish other than being shocked and appalled? Mm -hmm. So six months down the line, we're still, still, you know, people are afraid to have conversations the, mm -hmm. the, the movements that were, quote unquote, movements that were started around Black Square have been so heavily co-opted now that like, I don't even want to look at the diversify outside um, hashtag anymore. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. I've seen where so many people have co-opted that, that phrase or co-opted the whole experience behind making a, a stance for Black and Indigenous peoples to be, how can I show off my whiteness for everyone else to see? And there's a lot of that in that that whole hashtag in that space where it's either people are using the diversify outside or diversify outdoors to say, hey, pat on the back, I'm a great ally, this is what I did. Pat mm -hmm. on the back, hey, I took a black kid outside, pat on the back, I formed a nonprofit for blackness. Or mm -hmm. I formed an, or I watched a video of an indigenous person today, I did so great. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's been, it's been a, a a full-on co-opting of the experience and a lot of pat on the backs for not doing any work. Mm, and a yeah. lot of organizations who, again, had support from so many people, even other Black people in the community or other just saying, you're doing such great work, you're doing such great work, and they have done absolutely jack shit. Mm. So what else do you see that's like problematic within, you know, either derived from Blackout Tuesday or, the, you know, things that we've seen in the fly fishing industry when it comes to these things and of what we talked about of what organizations say? There's still just the, a lot of the unwillingness to change or the unwillingness to acknowledge that there's something wrong and mm -hmm. the, acknowledge, the, will, the unwillingness to actually push towards mm -hmm. making that change. Because, I mean, you know, they post, the Black Squares were posted, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the pledges were signed, what are you going to do now? You, you, and, and I look at it like this, like to me, you don't have to make a visible proclamation mm -hmm. of what you're doing, but you went ahead and you posted that black square and you made it visible. Mm -hmm. So now we want to see accountability. You posted the black square. You called yourself out. We didn't call you. You <laughs> went ahead and called yourself out. So now that you've called yourself out, you're accountable to us. Yeah. You're accountable to that, that, that community that you said was a part of your black square and you're going to make a change for it. Dude, we've all been screenshotting. We all, we've all been copying your, your text. We've all been copying the, the, you know, saving the emails that you've been sending to us, saving the DMs that you were sending. They're all saved. You know what I mean? So yeah. you're now accountable to us because you called yourself out. 
you were so yeah. ridden with guilt that we didn't have to come to you. You yeah. went ahead and you posted a black square either performatively or because mm-hmm. you realized that, oh crap, there are really other people in the world other than myself or other than there are other people than white people in this world. Mm-hmm. Now you've realized that and you posted that black square and now we're going to hold you accountable to the actions that you posted in that black square or mm-hmm. that very cra- well-crafted um, video montage that you did of every co- person of color that you've ever served in your organization. You must now be accountable to all of us who look like those people in those, in those ads because you said you were going to do different for us. You were going to do right by us, mm-hmm. but you ain't doing right. Yeah. It's time for you to get out and do the right thing. That's all mm-hmm. it is. Do the right thing. That's all. That's all we want you to do. We're yeah. not asking you to sell, you know, all the cows off of your ranch. Mm-hmm. Like sell a couple cows and donate some of the money. Right. Go out into a community and see how, you know, get up from around your desk. As, mm-hmm. as, as a CEO of an organization, move from the back, move from behind your desk. And, you know, maybe one day go out into a community and say, yeah, I said I would get all this work done or I had this money set aside and said I was going to get work done, but I don't know who needs help. I have no one in here who can show me how I need help. Maybe mm-hmm. I need to go out and immerse myself in these communities that I want to help for a little bit. Find yeah. someone who knows something about these communities or, or what their needs are and mm-hmm. work with them to help to make that change. Because you, I guarantee you, you as an individual who has never done anything who's never had any experiences, who never knows anything, who's never had to live a day wanting anything, Mm -hmm. what you think a community wants is entirely different than what Mm -hmm. that community actually needs to exist, to survive, and to be successful. Right. So let's talk about some of the actions other than performative um, stuff that we've been seeing and all these hashtags kind of, um, you know, spreading and whatnot. Um, What have you seen or what have you been a part of um, since Blackout Tuesday? I've seen a lot more, um, a lot more um, willingness for people to donate to getting people outside. And so I started my GoFundMe to get more people into the outdoors and create a gear library for, since people want to see, since people are still, still so shocked and appalled that Black people don't see themselves in the outdoors, how can you use that shocked and appalled to help me to get more people into the outdoors? So I started a GoFundMe for a gear library. And I hemmed in hot at start, starting a GoFundMe in the first place because I, I hate asking for stuff. Mm-hmm. And I hate, you know, but... I found it was a way for me to, one, hold people accountable to the fact that they said they wanted to help and they wanted to make a change mm-hmm. and to see how committed they were to actually putting their foot into the ring to help us make a change. So doing that, just, um, you know, since Blackout Tuesday, again, it's, it's a realization that a lot of organizations who posted that Black Square had no understanding of what it was to be Black. They had right. no understanding of what it was to be, you know, to face any form of challenge and not, not the organization because I think we keep on mentioning organizations as if organizations as if structures can hold emotions mm-hmm. so what are the people behind these organizations doing to create change and so I've spoken to I think too many people for free <laughs> over the past six months just yeah. to speak about you know actions that can be taken instead of just saying you're committed to the work but you know, showing up in, in, in communities and showing people that you actually care. How can you go into a community and sit your ass down and just listen and not have to act, not have to speak, not have mm-hmm. to let whiteness be the, the, precede the conversation to get you into a space? How can you now relinquish control that you've had for so long, simply based on your, your, your identity, to mm-hmm. go into a space, sit down, be quiet, listen, and ask how you can help instead of 
coming in and telling us how you're going to help. So it's been a lot of conversations about that with, with quite a few organizations and they, to be honest, the, for the, the ones that I care to speak to, they were very open and welcoming to listening. And that's that to me, that's super important being mm-hmm. willing to listen and not, not just tell me what you want to do, but find out what you, you know, you posted the black square, you had no understanding. I have the experience The P, the community I'm trying to, to serve has the experience. How can you remove yourself from that black square, remove yourself from that black square conversation and make real meaningful um, contributions to making change? Yeah, yeah. But those exactly. are the conversations, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And yeah, I've noticed that you've put in a lot of work over the last six months to do free work. Um, and yeah, that's just, so we'll definitely post your PayPal <laughs> and your go Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, honestly, sometimes it's not even, I get into this space where I'm like, Demetria, you should be charging for your work. But sometimes I'm like, do I make an impact if people don't want to pay for the, pay for the work? Do mm-hmm. I, do I, can I still reach people? And I know you can, and I do. There are times when I'm like, you know, based on capacity, I'm not going to sit here and just do it just because out of a good heart. But there are some times when I will have, you know, if, if someone has an understanding and doesn't come to me from the perspective of being an organization, come mm-hmm. to me as an individual wanting to, wanting to chat, just wanting to have, a, I will have that conversation when, 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 you know, my mental capacity is there for it yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely walk that balance as well. And there are certain times where you're just like, this person really needs it and they have a really big impact and a big following. And so this is like more of a community service is kind of how I view that emotional free labor. An interesting balance for sure. So, wow. Yeah. Um, You know, I find it interesting with you when we talk about listening um, do you still think that it's time to listen at this point, six months later? How important is that to versus doing stuff, like taking action? To me, it depends on where you were before six months ago. Mm-hmm. Because the impact, that the, the, the understanding that you're going to have, if this was work you were doing before June, mm-hmm. your understanding will be a lot different than the people who rushed into this in June and started, you know, training for a marathon marathon on in June and wanted to run that marathon on the second day of June or mm-hmm. whenever they, you know, like there was no time. So many people mm-hmm. came in and they wanted to, I'm going to do this project and I'm going to donate every dollar from this project to, to stuff that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, 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 slow down, slow down. That just completely shows me that you have no understanding of what you're getting yourself into. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been um, a lot of, having hard convers hard awkward conversations with people to tell them that they don't know what the hell they're doing and yeah. to really just slow down again mm-hmm. and yes it still is time to listen and it will always be time to listen but listening to the point where it's going to lead you to action not listening just to sit there and retain information or to you know build your mental capacity without doing anything outside mm-hmm. so the listening has to lead to action or else again that's entirely futile right right exactly what do you think about Martin Luther King quotes? <laughs> that's my, that's my, that, that, that's my whole reaction. Like, honestly, it's, it's always the same quotes. It's always the same quotes from MLK, MLK Jr. It's always the same quotes. There's no, there's no, no one knows what Martin Luther King actually said. 
-hmm. everyone goes on Insta on uh, sorry on Google and Google's MLK quotes that apply to a certain situation at a certain circumstance. And if it doesn't apply, then they go to the other quote.com to see what else they could find from someone else. So there's a right. whole lot of quoting going on with no concept of what they're, they're quoting, no mm -hmm. idea of who they're quoting. Because again, even in certain situations, the conversation that came out of Martin Luther King's quotes, they were not perfect because mm -hmm. there was still a lot of, you know, anti-female, you know, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it gets me riled up quite a bit sometimes because just because there's everybody wants to quote the MLKs and everybody wants to quote Barack Obama and everybody wants to quote, you know, um, um, Nelson Mandela without understanding who they were, understanding why those quotes came about or understanding the struggles that led them to that place that they had to make those quotes. Right. So. Yeah, it's almost like romanticized a little bit to where it gets put out of context. Yeah, it's a lot like, you know, me standing on the edge of a mountain with my, my, my hand reached behind me and my boyfriend taking the picture and yet I have an MLK quote. For what? <laughs> How does it apply? <laughs> well, because it probably made you feel good, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's just pick the quote that makes me feel the best and warm and fuzzy, right? That's like, kind of what it it's like a Sudoku, like a Sudoku puzzle. You <laughs> pick up that fits in the square at that moment. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what a lot of people do. They try to seek a connection where it's like, you've never had, you have this MLK quote. You've mm -hmm. never had a black friend. You've mm -hmm. never had an indigenous friend. You've never even stepped outside of, you know, your circle that, you know, your circle that was your be all and end all, which was either your family your cousins or the friends that came to you because of family and you've stuck with that. You've gone through college, you've gone through university, you've gone through high school, grade mm -hmm. school, but your circle is still white and your circle is still entirely white. But here you are quoting Dr. Martin Luther King and quoting all the other great, you know, um, the pioneers of, of social justice like um, movements, you're quoting them, but you have no context, no concept, no, 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 nowhere to base this from. So, right. I mean, then that's why I say a lot of listening is still super important because mm -hmm. a lot acting without knowing is one of the most dangerous things you can do. Right. Yeah. I always think of, you know, whenever we act, we just, we act with based on our intentions and not thinking about the impact, mm -hmm. which that is literally a outcome. When we think about working with a sense of urgency, we're just kind of reacting versus responding. Yeah. And so like, yeah, what I've, what I've seen happen over the last six months <laughs> it's always impact over intent for me I don't care what your intent was mm -hmm. it's what's your impact impact yeah. over intent right I definitely don't give any fucks about intent <laughs> you can intend to do all the good in the world that you want to do but when you go out it's like you know people say you know you let's let's go to South Africa or let's mm -hmm. go to an African country and we're going to take a kid we're going to find this kid but we're going to take that kid back to America and give them an American life and pretend that that kid doesn't have a family in, 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 in the, you know, in wherever in Africa you, you purchased yeah. the kid from because, you know, yeah. gave this family a donation and they were quite happy. And now this kid is there, but we've created such a great life for this kid in America that nothing else matters out of that. And I think that's a lot of the times what, what they refer to as white saviorism that gets applied to, to this situation here. It's like, yeah, we did great. We posted the black square. Everyone should now be happy. We've recognized everyone and we've done something to make, to make significant change, mm -hmm. but you haven't. Right. 
Right. Exactly. Yeah. I always think of like um, me like playing Frisbee with somebody and then I accidentally hit somebody. Right. I didn't mean to hit you with that Frisbee. That was not my intention. Right. But you still did it. And now, you know, they have injuries and And now you've lost a tooth with my Frisbee. Right. Exactly. I didn't mean to. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, there were some, um, so that day was actually quite busy for me. I don't know about for you. Did you get any like phone calls, emails? What was your um, day like on June 2nd? I, I had over 600 uh, instant messages. No lie. And I still have, like, if I go back into my, um, my messages right now, they're still sitting there. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, I don't have it where every message can come in directly into my inbox. So I have to vet the messages that come in because I don't have time for that crap. And Mm. there's still a whole ton of messages there and people, it was a day for a lot of people just to vent like Mm. all the, all the, the things that they didn't know. And they found out in that one day, they wanted to put it in my inbox and wanted Mm. me to pacify their feelings. Mm. And I wasn't, I wasn't there for it. I couldn't deal with it. I didn't have I didn't have the emotional capacity or the emotional resources to deal with that, that on that day. And, you know, whether or not it was someone reaching out to say, let me offer you help. Why are you offering me help? I don't know you. We've Mm -hmm. never met. We've never had a conversation. What Mm -hmm. all of a sudden has spurred this thing in you that makes you want to, you know, be the, the, the kind giving soul all of a sudden. Right. Yeah, I'm hearing like a lot of guilt, I guess. And that's kind of what I saw as well Is I feel really guilty. I haven't done anything. I haven't said anything. I need to do something. So let me just unleash on someone of color to kind of let them know that I care, that I'm here to save them essentially is kind of my interpretation. Yeah. Did you get a lot of people reaching out to you based on your line of work as well? I did. Yeah. So it was just, um, it's been actually nonstop for me for the past six months. And I was already in the middle of developing the angling for all pledge. And so it was a good time to kind of roll that out and launch that shortly after, um, just because it was, it was just on the verge of being launched anyway. And I think that really was good timing for, for the line of work that I was in already. I've been doing this work for a little over three years. So um, and my business partner has been doing this for, for ages. And so yeah. we, we were ready for it. So it's, um, it's a very interesting space. And I think, um, you know, even being in the space and doing the work in the space, the assumption is that you should always have capacity to deal, or you should always have capacity to respond to questions. You should mm-hmm. always have capacity to take, to be someone's dumping ground for their, for their, um, for their um, shame, I guess, um, that they carry around or, or their guilt and it doesn't work like that because we as individuals you know we still need to maintain that space here for ourselves right Mm -hmm. so yeah unless you're paying me the right amount can push it off to the side for a little bit and then call my therapist after right (laughs) or you can pay my therapist bill if you want (laughs) that works too yeah I like that what you said earlier is my existence is political, just being black. And that's 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I, I am a walking political statement. I don't think our existence should be in pain. And I don't yeah. think pain should be the only thing that we, the only way we move. Because mm-hmm. 
I said to someone the other day, my, my joy carries a higher price value to me mm. than my pain. And I don't mm. want to ever be reduced to just a painful existence because I am, I have a happy life and I have a happy existence and I want people to see that. And I want people to see, you know, that despite whatever it is that we're going through, there's still joy and there's still a need to find and exist in that space of joy. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed as that day went on, there was a lot of black folks posting about their joy because it was mm-hmm. like, this is not new and I am choosing to not be in this dark square with you, but I'm mm-hmm. going to celebrate my existence of, of having a joyful life, a happy life. So. I mean, we out here being happy. Why not? Like, I mean, <laughs> yes, we, we are angry. We're upset and we've been angry and upset for ages. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it's not like we weren't angry and upset in December of last year or angry and upset when they killed Tamara Rice or angry and upset when they killed Trayvon Martin and not angry or upset when, you know, the idiot that killed Trayvon Martin got to walk because he was protecting his community. We were all upset. We were all angry. We've been angry. We've been upset. So why should your black square now prompt us to be even more angry? Why should your black square call us to be even more, you know, focus on anger and focus on because and and I look at it this way too is like when you pull us into anger that doesn't reflect on you it reflects on us because we are now the angry black people who have no reason to be angry right Mm -hmm. you you did your part and you made it you made it so perfect and you made it so happy for everyone why are they angry we just acknowledge them you know we just show them that we care through posting a black square whatever do they have to be angry for so right. again, the mask, the, 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 the black square was another form of, 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 of the, of, I look at it as another form of an oppressive mask. That's all mm-hmm. it was. Cause you're pulling me into anger. You're pulling me into a place where now I keep on seeing these black squares and it's pushing me more to be angry, to be angry even more. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to act, but I'm going to be called, you know, the angry black woman or the angry black person or the violent black person simply because you mm-hmm. spurred me to anger based on your actions but I'm not allowed to react. What would you say to companies that are saying, um, um, what is that? Like, I know that you had, we talked a little bit about you being political, but what does that actually mean when a company says, we don't want to get political? What do you have to say to that? When you say you don't want to political means you don't want to engage. You don't want to do anything. That's, some, that's all it is. You don't want to engage with the walking example of what, it, what political looks like. You don't want to engage. You don't want to step outside of your comfort zone. You don't want to upset your, 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 your customer base. If mm-hmm. we pull up on an organization like Sims, when we posted, when they posted in, in um, whenever they posted, I can't remember about their support for Black Lives Matter and the racist vitriol that came out of that, 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 that moment. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was just like, yeah, now your customers or your client base is upset because you've, you're not, you didn't serve them today. They came into your restaurant and the meal that you want, that they wanted prepared, you didn't prepare that for them, right? Mm-hmm. And that is, that, that's, that's what that came out of that. And I saw a lot of, um, a lot of uh, anger from, mm-hmm. from um, the client bases that they support, a lot of anger from... Yeah, just a lot of anger, a lot of a lot of white supremacy and a lot of hate and a lot of just a lot of everything without Sims or any other organization stepping up to say we're here. Mm-hmm. We weren't meant just to serve you. 
and mm-hmm. now we've realized our mistake here's what we're gonna do there was none of that it was yeah. more of a we're just gonna let everyone run rampant in the comment section say whatever they want to say and when they say something that's a little bit too far to the the left we're gonna delete it there was so much of that. There were so many organizations just deleting the posts when, you know, either they were deleting the posts of people calling them out because they're not saying anything or mm-hmm. that comment just went a little bit too off brand for them that they mm-hmm. now had to do damage control. And a lot of it too was what I found out afterwards was that a lot of the people who were monitoring these um, social media accounts were actually people of color who mm-hmm. had to deal with the the stress of reading those comments to actually go through it to figure out what to remove Mm, or respond to right what i'm um hearing is like two things one of them is you know not particularly just this it's it's this company and everyone in the outdoor fly fishing industry Mm -hmm. it's taking responsibility for your actions whether Mm -hmm. or non-action right owning that you're not going to do something or if you're going to do something then have some responsibility for that and you know there was no response of we see you this is something this is the right thing to do right which is to let our Black, Indigenous, people of color, customer base, and, you know, followers know that we support you and we see you. There was literally none of that, you know, and so that was, like, a really big opportunity, I felt like, in, you know, like, yes, you can be performative, but also making sure that you're following up with action. I've had a few companies, you know, post this, hey, we're in solidarity, you know, but I was like, are you though? Because I haven't seen anything from you before. So what are you actually doing from this day forward? Some of them actually signed the England Brawl Pledge. They are, you know, doing some heavy lifting. They're doing some work, you know, and, um, you know, they're kind of remaining silent right now because they're still doing work. You know, they're not just- They're listening. Exactly. They're listening and working. And that's yeah. what's important. Like social media has given everyone this whole idea that everything that you do needs to be up in the front and that's where that's where a lot of the least amount of action comes from because Mm -hmm. you're so your post everybody's so easy to appease with a quick visual right Mm -hmm. but when you actually go behind the scene what's the work that's being done is there Mm -hmm. anything you know is there anything real coming out of the yes we support you what have you done to show that support where Mm -hmm. has where has your organization gone over the last six months what does your board of directors look like now Versus what it did in, on June on, on June second, you know what I mean? What yeah. are what are the changes that you've made to actually still show that you really are trying to support um, more people mm-hmm. getting into the getting into fly fishing or getting to fishing? Period. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and it's okay that you don't have a diverse board right now. Just own that you don't. You know, mm-hmm. that's all I want to see. <laughs> is- but own it, and that you're making making steps to changing it not owning it and sitting in the conversation that this is what we've always done or Mm -hmm. these 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 things were grandfathered to us i don't care what was grandfathered to you you can grandfather in racism you can grandfather in misogyny you can grandfather in homophobia you can grandfather in any kind of you know ignorance can be grandfathered in how are you going to work to change it like Mm -hmm. i don't want to hear that you you've you've had to, you know, abide by these, these rules and these, these laws. Companies are built so they, that they can change. Companies right. are built so that they progress. And, you know, progress doesn't have to look like a financial amount. 
progress can look like you actually taking real tangible steps to make sure over the long term that you're affecting change. Absolutely. You know, I think like the overall issue with all of that is they want to see it now. Um, They want, or they want to like perform now. Right. But they don't have anything to back it up with. So yeah, quick fixes and they don't want to engage. A lot of them don't want to, you know, when you look at it, a lot of companies still don't want to engage the people who want to help them make change or Mm -hmm. they don't want to, you know, um, engage the people who know the real work that needs to be done. And they don't, a lot of, a lot of, organizations and the people who run them don't want to use that mirror to look at themselves it's fine to pass it off to everyone else to say that they're doing such a horrible job with this but we have made steps we've created a a DEI um, you know branch or whatever it is in our company we're doing it what are they doing but not Mm -hmm. realizing that the whole time you're sitting there saying yes 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 I'm doing this I'm doing this that that company has moved so far ahead of where you've gone, sitting there pat- patting yourself on the back with one hand and trying to work with just one finger doing something else. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The thing that I see is um, once there is a diversity department or even I, I see it getting siloed and pushed to HR. <laughs> And this type of work is not that technical type of challenge. It's really, it needs to be, everyone needs to take ownership and responsibility for being inclusive from, you know, the top of the top to the line level staff to everyone in between. And if that's not happening, you know, look at your culture, right? Like that is literally what is happening in your culture and why you're not seeing change. So this is um, a cultural shift that needs to happen and it's not up to one person to change an entire culture. <laughs> but then the funny thing is when people say they are going to HR, HR was built by the company for the company. Right. So you, exactly. you're going to go, you're going to complain to the kid's mom about the kid's <laughs> actions when the kid's mom was the one who raised him to be the asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> like really, yeah. what, are you, what are you trying to do? Yeah, that's really beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank I'm, you very much. Somebody texted me this screenshot. And I can't find it for the life of me. It's probably, I don't know. It could have been me. Uh, anyway, but it's bad. It was just, um, it was a brand that was completely, I mean, it, I think it was actually Sims of just felt completely unsafe looking at their Instagram based on their customers' comments of like, it was, it was literally like a screenshot and somebody was scrolling of like Trump 2020, yeah, Trump. And it was just oh, yeah. like over and over and over and oh, over. Yeah. Just I don't like... even see that post on their page anymore. And that's where I, I go to say the the um, the deleting of what doesn't serve them because it mm-hmm. makes them see, makes, it upsets their customer base. Them yeah. removing it has nothing to do with the, you know, mm-hmm. with the impact that they're having to the BIPOC community. Mm-hmm. It's more of the impact that it's having on their customer base and probably mm-hmm. their sales. So actually, let's talk about that a little bit. So when companies are saying we don't want to polarize our customers or we don't want any controversy within our customers, you know, or losing any customers, what kind of response do you have to say to that? Do I not matter? Does my dollar not matter? Because again, even, and I keep on saying Sims because that's where I bought all my fly fishing gear. That's mm-hmm. everything I have for fly, down to my gloves, they were from Sims. Mm-hmm. Um, my boots are from Sims. My waiters are from Sims. Some of my equipment are from Sims. But when I went to Sims during that moment where I, I don't know why I thought I even could go there to see something that was 
that made sense because again, the fly fishing industry is such, it is polarized in who it serves. It is polarized in, you know, everything that it does. The industry says, this is for old white men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if it's not for old white men, it's now for scantily clad bikini, scantily, scantily clad bikini fit babes are the only people who are allowed to fish. That's all it says. That's all the fishing. And that's where the line stops, right? But then when it comes down to um, conversations, like real conversations or, you know, you fish, I fish, where do we see ourselves in this picture? Right. Do you see yourself? Is, is the view not polarized in that sense already? Has, is it not a very linear view of what the fishing industry should look like? Right. I mean... There's really no, there's really nothing to say that there's any difference or that any difference is trying to be made. Six Mm -hmm. months later, it's still the same imagery. It's Mm -hmm. still the same, you know, old white guy on a boat in, in, um, in, uh, sorry, in New Zealand or somewhere fishing the most exotic places because they can't afford that, 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 that is what it looks like. It's Mm -hmm. still elite. It's still super exclusive it's still super not welcoming based Mm -hmm. on imagery based on conversation based on who gets to be a part of this conversation who's you know you and i sat through conversations with 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 fishing organizations that Mm -hmm. turned into nothing Mm -hmm. yeah you know we've been there we've lived it We're not just shooting. We're not just shooting from shit. We're actually coming from somewhere with, because we've had the experience. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with, um, you know, my response to, um, I don't want to, we don't want to divide our, our customer base. It's like, you've been dividing for, you've been divisive for so long because people like me have never been included in any of your any like any of your organizations or even the industry right this has already been polarized we've already been segregated out of the industry mm-hmm. why are you not choosing to include us plus bring on bring everybody else too right this is not an either or issue no but the thing is like even if like you like you've been doing this for so long and you've been polarized for so long that you think this is normal right yeah now you don't want to disrupt your normal if you think about it like your normal is everything that you've seen before june 2nd or your normal everything that you've seen before and that's why your customers are upset they're not upset because you know they saw someone you posted last week they're upset because all of a sudden you use the word black with a capital b in your statement and that's like mind-blowing like why are you even capitalizing black why are you even putting a black person on your page? We don't, we don't need to have the fishing. The conversation about fishing is never about race. And we don't mm-hmm. bring race into this fishing conversation. When I go out, I just want to fish. I never want to have to think about anything else, right? And if I ever don't see anyone here that doesn't, you know, that if someone's here that doesn't look like me, well, good for them. They figured out how to fish on their own. But I'll tell them that they shouldn't hold the fish like this. They shouldn't use this kind of fly. They should, their, their rod's too cheap. The line that they're using is wrong. The, the waders that they have is wrong. The shoes are wrong. And they probably shouldn't just be out here in the safe first base because it's not very safe for you. 
they're loud, they're in my hole. Now they're mm-hmm. going to post on Instagram and everything's going to get over, you know, worked and whatnot. Or they're going to start doing that, 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 that young whippersnapper thing and, 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 and tag, geotagging, you know? They're going to geotag where that location where, where I call that fish. On stolen indigenous lands. <laughs> but no, 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 but that's my land because my family has rights and titles to that land. So that's my land. This is this has yeah, nothing to do with it being I indigenous land. Title, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> At what price, right? Yep. You want to come in and fish the river that I own? You want to? You want to step into the river? You can't step on the bottom of the river. You might be able to float the top of the water, but you can't touch the bottom of the river because that's my land. It's connected to my land. It's connected to my ancestors' land. So you can't touch it. <laughs> the, you know, like literally that conversation about the whole river piece and not not being able you can float atop of the water but you can't step on the on the you can't you can't fish the bottom of the river because you're you're you you might drag fish from the bottom of the river that's on my land you can't if your boat comes ashore i have i have all rights to shoot you because you're on my land dude it's a freaking river a river runs through it (laughs) like how 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 do you own it Mm-hmm. You you didn't come, you know. Christopher Columbus didn't take it from you, did he? <laughs> is that is that who Chris Columbus took it from? Your family? Just just tell just tell me. Am I missing something here? <laughs> I don't know. Were, you know, were you the ones who had your whole life up and thrown out, and all your ancestors were killed, and you know all those things to make this land fishable for everyone except everyone? <laughs> so um i want to move on to another saying that i hear often and i like to hear your response is we don't have the budget or we don't have a budget for a diversity equity inclusion position or any training (laughs) if you're if you're serious and you're committed to actually doing work and creating work and sometimes there there are people who will help you like the conversation doesn't always have to be about we don't have a budget i'm when it comes to smaller organizations don't disrespect me first of all by telling me you don't have a budget before we start a conversation that is you entirely telling me that you've you've made a whole bunch of assumptions before even started this conversation and you have no real intent on doing any work and but you just want me to sit here and either pour my heart, listen to you pour your heart and soul out to me, me tell you how to fix it, and then you say bye and do nothing about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I've seen some creativity over the last six months, um, and this was already a company well into their journey and, and doing the work already, mm-hmm. is shuffling money around, you know, instead of giving money to a certain ad campaign, um, you know, via another social platform, they've actually shuffled that into paying for diversity and inclusion training for their staff. Um, So yeah, I would agree that there is a budget. (laughs) I've worked in uh, marketing and sales before and there was constantly a budget. We would- always a budget. You know, we got to spend all this money on travel and, you know, but yet they would always say, well, we don't have any money for initiatives for diversity and inclusion. Dude, you're buying coffee mugs, pens and pins. Yeah, exactly. Right. They all go in the garbage. Nobody uses your stupid jump drive anyways. No one yeah. drinks from your coffee mug. Like, <laughs> put it where it actually makes some sense. Yeah, yeah. You're just 
buying into trash where that money could go somewhere else. Because again, half the time the pen goes missing on the first day that you receive it. The coffee mug never gets used because everyone already has their personal relationship with their coffee mug. And that tote bag, it's uh, not going to get used. <laughs> yeah, right. Unless it's big enough to carry all my groceries in it at once so I don't have to go back downstairs, then maybe, but otherwise it's not getting used. Yeah, yeah. I remember also with this particular company, and Sydney and I talk about this a lot. She's my business partner, and she was the diversity and inclusion manager, and I was the marketing manager. And my budget was pretty big, you know, and so it was up to me. I thought it would benefit everybody if I partnered with the diversity and inclusion manager on marketing campaigns. And so we would combine our forces and ideas and whatnot. And, you know, so I'd come up with this great plan of like, okay, we're going to do this. And Sydney's like, well, I don't have the budget for it. And I'm like, well, how do you not have a budget for this? Like, like mine is like, we're just shelling out the cash. Right. And so yeah, that was probably an awakening experience of um, where money gets shuffled and, and, and really obvious once we finally got down to it, you know. Your budget for DEI work is going somewhere mm-hmm. that it shouldn't be going and you can't afford to get it done. You can't afford to hire the, the, the professional. You can't afford to sit in on a conference. You can't afford to have someone come in and sit with your organization and help you figure out what's wrong and how to fix it. It's affordable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Another thing is they don't want to, that's, they're so like, Conan, what you were saying is they're used to the comfort and familiarity. So to think critically and to think creatively of shifting budgets is, is really difficult because this is just the way it's always been. And we have our fiscal plans already, you know, at certain quarters and whatnot. So um, get ahead of it, right? Like if you're already seeing a problem now, <laughs> uh, you know that you're going to have to do your planning and budgeting already for, you know, a few years from now. Like why not get on it now? Why not start shuffling and looking into that now? So but it's okay. But it's like, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I'm saying it's the part of it is too, is like, who's holding you accountable now? Mm-hmm. Who's going to hold you accountable when, when you say you don't have the budget Who's there to step up and step and push back to say, yes, you have the budget. And that's where it comes down to, again, if the people who are in, who are in management and have power and have clout and have room to, to make change aren't willing to speak up, mm-hmm. then you're forever going to be grandfathering in the same ideas, the same, the same lack of action that brought you here in the first place. Nothing's ever going to change. And that's where it's important. Again, if you, but, you know, if your your board doesn't reflect the, mm-hmm. the future that you want, how mm-hmm. are you working now as an organization to make mm-hmm. that change going forward? Because, it, I mean, a lot of companies never want to rattle their board of directors, right? And if your board of directors is comfortable and happy where they are and they're making their money and for them, everything looks rosy up at the top. If no mm-hmm. one's showing them that it really isn't rosy and it really isn't pretty, mm-hmm. who's going to push them to help make change? And it doesn't have to be, when I look at it, it's like, people are like, oh, you have to hire someone Black to speak on Black issues. Mm-hmm. You have to speak, hire someone in, Indigenous to speak on Indigenous issues. You mm-hmm. have to hire someone POC to speak. For one, nobody can speak for everyone's issues because that, that in and of itself, again, is a problem. Right. Figure out, and that's why you need to have different people with different perspectives coming in and giving you different ways. Because mm-hmm. I guarantee you, a lot of the times 
if I'm coming in, if, if someone's coming into an organization and all they're coming in to do is represent one group of people, mm-hmm. you're going to still, again, end up creating segregation by helping mm-hmm. that one set of people or, yeah, helping that one group of people and everyone's still sitting out like, oh, so what happened to us in that whole BIPOC piece? Where am I? Because mm-hmm. it happens right now. There's a lot of, a lot of um, organizations that they say they represent um, BIPOC, but when you look, you see no, no, represent, no indigenous, indigenous or Black representation in there mm-hmm. whatsoever. They're happy with um, the white passing individuals or those who align closely to whiteness Mm-hmm. to make to make the decisions for everyone else and that mm-hmm. fixes nothing because at the end of the day again we all have our own biases right we all mm-hmm. have our and and biases play a lot into how people act and to mm-hmm. the resolutions the things that they see and if you're not in a position where you're seeing anything that needs to change how are you going to tell someone in an organization that you need to change something another thing that i hear companies and i want your reaction to this is we are doing everything we can who told you that? <laughs> <laughs> you are not. The moment you say we're doing everything we can, it's a simple indicator of you're doing absolutely nothing because you've already limited your you've already limited your ability and limited your capacity to do things by saying you're doing everything you can. And if that is in your head. Mm-hmm. you're not inspired to make any change or make anything different you're just going to sit you we're doing everything we can mm-hmm. it doesn't speak to growth it speaks to you being over on this side of the line and you're going to stay on this side of the line because everything here no matter what brought you to this point where you're now hitting a wall it was okay for you and you're that's all you're going to do so anyone over here you don't matter we're not taking this ball down. We're going to continue operating over here because that's all we can do. That's all we're interested in doing. And that's all our budget is going to allow us to do. Mm-hmm. You can sit over here and so worry about what you want us to do, but we're not moving. We're not coming over. So either you figure out how to jump over this wall to get over here, or you just mm-hmm. sit here and be with nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. Who told you that? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the perfect, yeah perfect response who told you that <laughs> it sounds like someone calling themselves an ally who told you that oh, <laughs> allyship title <laughs> so true that's a good comparison you cannot be a self-proclaimed ally <laughs> no my friend you are not the moment you proclaim that the moment you proclaim yourself to be an ally is the moment you have failed mm-hmm. yeah i'm sorry yeah yeah, agreed. Have you seen an organization that is doing well? And I don't know what the meaning for well is. I was just going to say, and that depends on your definition of well. <laughs> I don't know what the well scale looks like, to be honest. And if I'm going to use... Well, walk me through that process of like, what do you think that looks like? Because I probably have a different definition than you do. So okay, tell me yours first and, and, then, and then we can... Tell me what's your definition? What's your definition of, of doing well? So, okay. Um, I see an organization starting to listen um, and then they're starting to put money where their mouth is, which is also making, taking action. It's pretty much the same thing that I saw and that I thought, well, would be like, it's the listening and the, the listening. I think I, I, one piece I would add to that is the asking, mm-hmm. asking what, what is needed versus mm-hmm. just 
finding a cause to put money into. Yeah, figuring, I think, I think that's one of the big pieces that's missing for me. Is and that I think there's, people actually get that confused. So what does that look like? So it's not you coming in and saying, we have this money and you can only use it this way. Because our, our, our mandate determines that you have to spend this money in this capacity for it to make, for it to be considered impactful from our, from our organization's perspective, right? It's, it's not you coming in and saying, we're going to give you $5,000 and this $5,000 must be spent buying waiters, but they must only be spent buying waiters from our company and they must be posted on social media with our logo showing or our brand showing. Mm-hmm. The organization didn't ask for you to come in and tell them and use them as a marketing campaign. Because all you're doing now is telling me you want to use me for marketing to make you look like you have a diversity, equity, and inclusion um, committee, or you've, you've committed to doing work with um, diverse populations, right? Mm-hmm. This is not you saying, you know what? We have $5,000. We're going to donate this to you as an organization for you to spend it how your organization best mm-hmm. sees fit. We, we, they have all right to ask for accountability for that $5,000. I don't, you can ask for how the $5,000 is spent, but don't tell me I need to spend it how you want me to spend it and to spend it back in your organization. It's just like someone, it's just like a company giving you a gift card as a holiday, as a holiday present. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, you didn't give me anything because that yeah. money comes right back into your store. At the end of the day, all you did was give me a gift card Maybe I'm going to use it. Maybe I'm not going to use it. The money didn't leave your company. The money is still there. You can write that off at some point to say, you know, oh, well, they didn't spend it. Money's still back here. You know, it's not like you came in and you said, how do you, what do you, what do you think that we could give to you to develop a, a, a fly fishing program? Or how can we help you build a fly fishing program? And a lot of it too, sometimes it's not even the cash. A lot of, sometimes we need resources that are, that are not, we need, resources that are not only, you know, made out for money, human resources, come in and volunteer your time to teach. We're in fly fishing. A lot of us have never, a lot of kids have never even seen fly fishing, but on television. And even if they've seen it on television, they don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Like go into, reach out to a community organization and ask them if they'd be interested in teaching people to fly fish. It doesn't have to be youth because I find we get so hung up on just a youth population that we end up leaving a whole bunch of people out of conversations that need to happen. Um, and that's why for Brown Girl Outdoor World, I don't, I'm not youth focused because mm-hmm. someone has to educate the educators who never had a chance to get that education in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Because they were busy working four or five jobs and taking care of families or their parents were busy working four or five jobs and taking care of families. So they didn't know about this stuff. As a company, ask how you can come in now and help them to learn and to find a place out there in the outdoors. If it's in fishing, even if it's in a hiking place, a hiking, you know, company or a company that sells hiking gear, how can we help you? That's all you need to ask. Don't tell me you're just going to do this, but ask me how you can help me to get better. Yeah. Yeah. Which outdoor industry business is a good example of ally slash authentic movement that will transcend? I don't know. I honestly don't know because every time I, every time I, I think I see someone doing something really good, I see someone else post that they're horrible. So I'm like, again, are these my biases? Are those, are, am I basing my opinions of other people's biases? Or mm-hmm. I don't have enough to go off of when it comes to the outdoor industry 
for, for me to say that someone's doing the best that they can do. And again, when I look, the only thing that I have seen so far and the only thing that I've, you know, kind of seen like change being made or, or visible change and seeing people like myself being represented mm-hmm. and it's with Orbis. Mm-hmm. And that's all I've really seen so far. And I've seen, and it wasn't even just a matter of, you know, um, them, I don't, I don't know if they've put in money. I don't know if they've, I think they signed as the pledge. Mm-hmm. But even yeah. before the pledge came about, I saw Faith. Mm-hmm. I saw um, Chrissy. Mm-hmm. I saw faces and I saw people and I was like, yo, that looks like me, right? Yeah. That's like, those are people that, that, that they've chosen to, to invest in. They've mm-hmm. chosen to bring on as a part of the, the team, whether or not there's other things that happen outside of what I know. I'm only mm-hmm. going based on what I see visually presented to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. One of the things that I see a lot in the outdoor industries, particularly in the fly fishing industry, is a lot of, I mean, competition, right? That's just part of their business strategy, but they bring that into the DEI work. And it's like, who's doing the best? And I, I really struggle with that term best. I don't think that they're in this, in, in equity, right? There is no competition. No <laughs> so it's like you're... It's like you're either invested into doing the right thing and including mm-hmm. everybody or you're choosing to, um, you know, um, be complacent and silent, which is contributing yeah. to violence and oppression. Mm-hmm. So to me, there is no competition in that. Um, I think of those characteristics again that we talked about, right? Like which company is actually listening, which company is like making action, which one is building community and uplifting those communities. Um, last comment, which is juicy. Uh, you might want to discuss Sims Fishing and their owner, Casey Walsh, su- Casey Walsh's support of Trump loyalists. Are you familiar with them? So I saw a little bit about that, but I was, I got to a point where I was just so, I detached myself from, from that so, so much because it was becoming too draining for me. So I didn't really follow up, um, on it. But I did see the comments and I was like, and where they came back and said they didn't support them and blah, 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 blah. And it was misunderstood or I don't know. Do you have more insight on that than I do? Yeah. So Danes was running for um, a political office in Montana who is historically known for extracting public lands and typically fly fishers, you know, hunters and anglers and outdoor recreation, we want to protect our public lands. That's probably like the one thing we have in common (laughs) Uh Uh is having, um, you know, protecting these um, waters and lands. And um, there's this post on Facebook that um, this person had left a link And it says, just caught Casey Walsh, who runs Sims, uh, shilling out our crappy Trump-loving Senator Steve Daines in a television ad. So Walsh starts out saying in the ad, public lands are part of a way of life in Montana. That's why I'm supporting Senator Daines. And so if you actually know Daines and his political platform, it's quite the opposite. But Casey Walsh, who is the owner of Sims, um, what, you know, was kind of caught, I would say in a form of endorsing or Uh at least supporting, 
um, this uh, Dane's person. <laughs> and so, um, so that's kind of like the, the fuzziness there, I guess uh-huh. you could say, but the talk within the industry. <laughs> uh-huh. And I actually had a Sims employee um, that will keep anonymous uh, reach out to me, um, who was just saying, who, who had said, I just want to be clear that Sims does not endorse Steve Danes. That re- ad wrongly depicts Sims as endorsing him because one of our owners was featured in the ad. So um, this employee was really uh, frustrated. It was a very frustrated uh-huh. response to this post that I had um, in that they're basically getting tired of um, being accused of endorsing this um, person, Danes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know, and kind of said Sims has, does a lot of, um, puts a lot of money towards protecting public lands and cold, clean water over the years. Um, you know, they've had um, a lot of their employees in support of stopping the mine in Parad- Paradise Valley, uh-huh. which is also like another conservation effort. And so, um, so yeah, this person is really excited to work on the Sims staff and fully believes that they don't endorse Danes or support Danes. So, you know, um, two different sides of the story there, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, we do when, yeah, yeah. But then when you go on the website, on the Instagram page and all you see is like their customer base it leads you not to believe anything else. When you go on, when you go on the, that retailer's um, Instagram page and you see the comments that their customers are leaving and it just pretty much goes unchecked, it makes you wonder, you know, what do they really support? There's no clear line in the sand. It's literally, it's the clear line in the sand would lead to the, to the, to the direction that everyone is calling them out on versus anything else. All right. So thank you so much for your time. And as we kind of close out, um, so what's next for you? What are you working on? Um, What can we kind of do a shout out to if if you're highlighting any of your work now? I'm still working on my, um, on my GoFundMe campaign to raise um, 10 grand to buy equipment to make access to the outdoors a little bit easier. We're currently at just over like around 9,400. But I've paused that for a little bit. So from now until the 15th of December, anything donated will be given to, will be used to purchase um, uh, holiday baskets or holiday or make food donations or something to make this holiday season a little bit easier for a few families, just because the outdoor equipment is essential. But if you don't have the life that is predicated by you having food, then the outdoor equipment makes no sense. So um, putting a bit of that money into, um, into, helping in a different helping community in a different way um working on quite a few projects for next year um i'm actually wanting to work be trying to find an organization right now that will help work with me to um bring more people into fishing in in canada bring more pocs buy more bypass people into the into the fishing industry um and I, I've actually one of my uh, buddies that I, I've gone fishing with, he's a super, super nice guy, um, really willing to help, really amazing fly angler and fly tire. He's, we're going to work to put together a project next year to do a river cleanup and a day of, a day of river cleanup and, and fly fishing lessons for uh, BIPOC women. So I'm super excited for that and to see 
who I can get to help us sponsor that event. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to put some work into that for, for the upcoming year. And just, you know, a lot, of, a lot more working to get people outside to, again, and as I always say, my, I think my, my tagline or my slogan is um, know it, love it, protect it. We can't, if we can't protect what we don't know, and if we don't know it, we won't be willing to love it and protect it. So just, yeah, that's just, just what I want. More people out there doing the things that are going to cause them to love the environment so much that they work so hard at protecting it and understanding that the white voice isn't the only voice when it comes to environmental protection. Mm. Well, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and, you know, all the work that you're doing uh, for Brown Girl Outdoor World. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing. Thank you for having me and thank you for creating this awesome space. And it's these awkward conversations are super, super helpful. And I can't, I really can't wait to see and watch it grow and how, how, how exciting it it gets. (laughs) Thanks. Well, thank you. Me too. (laughs) Big shoes to fill Erica, but you got this. I've, I've, I know like I connected with you just because of the work that you're doing and, and, you being that awkward angler and it just being, you being a really dope person. So just keep doing that. And, you know, you've got this. Thanks. (laughs) Are you awkward feeling now? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. I'm incredibly grateful for Demisha's strong voice in this space. As she quotes, we all deserve time outside in nature, forming a relationship with the land and getting to know it so that we can love it and protect it. This is located on the Brown Girl Outdoor World Gear Library GoFundMe site. Be sure to donate, as this creates access to gear and transportation, which are just a few barriers in the work to diversify the outdoors through adventure. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Head over to awkwardangler.com for show notes and resources. You can send appreciations by subscribing, sharing with a friend, rating the podcast, or Venmo at Awkward Angler. Special thanks to my brown folks fishing family for your support. I'm Erica Nelson, inviting you to be an awkward angler. See you next week.